you want God to hear you, hear Him first. He made it very clear He doesn't listen to the prayer of a godless man. That's the good advice that we'll hear from Dr. J. Vernon McGee as we near the end of our study in Proverbs. You know, it's been so practical and so rich, hasn't it? Well, next Wednesday, the Bible bus travels to the New Testament as we begin the study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. What a great book that is. Our focus will be on our joy in Jesus Christ. You'll definitely want to hop aboard and join us. Now, before we jump into Proverbs 28, let's welcome Greg Harris, Through the Bible's president, who's here to tell us how we can join him in praying for Through the Bible in 2024 as we continue to devote ourselves to our mission of taking God's whole word to his whole world. And Steve, that is the correct place to start any thought about the new year, which is we need all of the people in our family on the Bible bus to pray. Yes. And one of the challenges, I think, in Christian work is there are certain things that everybody has to say amen to, and uh, a prayer is one of them. But what we need is real prayer. And we're so grateful. There's so many people who tell us how much they pray for the ministry. And I can guarantee you it's why the ministry remains yes. so dynamic and relevant around the yes. world. Yes, Dr. McGee always talked about prayer as being the priority, and that's yes. still true for us today. That's really one of our foundation, core foundation beliefs. But to pray for things, there's so many things going on in through right. the Bible all right. around the world. It's not just the five-year program in this language or that language. Yes, that is our core and foundation, but there are so many other ways. For yeah. instance, we don't have time today, yeah. but we're going to be talking about home groups. Yes. And boom, talk about a movement where we're just buckling in and hanging on because the Lord is growing and blessing that ministry yes. in tremendous ways. And and it's it's very different than the old-fashioned way where we would say to a, a, a partner, you know, we'll pay for the radio time, we'll pay for the translation. And, and that was all we could do. Now, yeah. these networks are growing organically. And yes. by organic, we mean Holy Spirit organic. Yes. And this is an exciting thing. We will talk more about it later this month. But another thing that specifically you can be praying for is what we call our contextualized Bible mm, apps. Yeah. So rather than telling you exactly what they are, let me start with what we want the listener to experience. Imagine you're from a non-Christian culture and you're searching the Internet or the app store. Yes. And you've heard about the Bible and so you think, I just want the Bible in my language. Yep. So let's pick a language like Luganda, because we want to tell the story about yeah. Luganda. <laughs> but say you're, you're, you're living in Uganda or maybe in another country, and you say, I want a Bible in my language. And then you start reading it, and you say, like the Ethiopian eunuch, how can I understand it? Yep. Unless someone teaches me or helps me. And then they say, oh, wow, there's this great teaching inside the app and that's it that's as simple as these apps yeah there's are. no there's no outward branding of through the bible right. and nobody even has to have the point of reference of saying oh i want to listen to through the bible right it's i want the bible and we give them a bible and then we have the technology we use touch a verse in this right yes yes so basically yep. you touch a verse and it flips over to the bible teaching of through the bible in that language right. all within that app right now what happens when we release one of these apps let's talk about the very first one we did was not a major trade language. It was Luganda. You and I have been to Uganda. Yes. We, we love this team and we thought, let's try a small language and see what happens. Yeah. And we put it on the app store and the Google play store. No, no, uh, advertising, advertising spend, yeah. yep. no, nothing. We just set it there and people start downloading. You think, well, of course people are going to download. They'll find it. You're right. But what we didn't expect was the rapidity. Is that a word? The rapidity yeah. with yes. which it spread throughout the whole world. Yes. And the number of countries. We were just at a meeting last week and we saw that 
people in 79 countries have downloaded the Luganda app. Yeah. Now, let me give some statistical context to that. There are there are about 8 billion people in the world, about 20, maybe 30 million, 20, 30 million. That's a tiny fraction speak yeah. Luganda. Yeah. And there are about 200 countries. It's uh, debatable what's a country and what's not. But that gives you an idea that almost half the countries in the world have downloaded a people in those countries have downloaded an app that is only a language with 30 million, 20 million people. Yeah, it's incredible. And they're engaging with the Bible and they're learning God's word. And we're so looking forward to the feedback that we're going to be getting from these listeners and how they've been impacted by the Bible in their mother tongue all around the world. And Greg, we're out of (laughs) time. We're always out of time. (laughs) Why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, thank you that we have far more opportunities to get your word out than we even have the time and energy. And I pray you'd multiply the effectiveness of our small team as we try to get your whole word to the whole world. We look forward to what you're going to do in 2024 in our lives and in lives around the world. And we commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with a great study in Proverbs 28 on Through the Bible. Now we're back at the 28th chapter of the book of Proverbs. We come to verse 1 here, and it reads like this. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Sin, regardless of the viewpoint of man toward it, always puts folk in a continual fear. And they live in a time of where they condemn themselves. There is a self-condemnation. I was very much interested in speaking out here on the West Coast to a group. And in it, there was a young fellow and a girl who were living together. And I never even mentioned anything about that. And the way that the young man, because I actually was talking about sin and sin in general, The way he began to defend himself was almost amusing if it hadn't have been so serious. He began to defend what he's doing. That's the way we found out that he was living, and he was living in sin. But he didn't think so, but he had a conscience that somehow or another wanted him to defend himself. The lawless flee when no man pursue it. Nobody pointed the finger at the young man to begin with. I didn't know and certainly didn't have him in mind, and didn't mention his sin. But he felt, nonetheless, it's there. The righteous are bold as a lion. And if a man is not guilty, believe me, he can speak out. If he's not guilty, it's when he is guilty. Always you have this in the thoughts and minds of men. There is a psychological term that is used, a guilt complex. All of us have the guilt complex. And as a psychologist told me, and he's a Christian psychologist, he taught years ago at USC here in Southern California. He said, you know, I was speaking one night and mentioned the guilt complex at our Thursday night Bible study. He said to me afterwards, said, you should bear down on that. You didn't emphasize it enough. Why, he said, do you know that guilt complex is as much a part of you as your right arm? And you can't get rid of it just by wishful thinking, and many attempt to do. And then he made this interesting statement. He said, we psychologists can shift it from one place to another 
but you can't eliminate it. And today, one of the methods that the godless psychologist uses is to a person that they say your religion has given you a guilt complex. Now the thing to do is to go out and go to the bar room and pick up with one of the opposite sex. Well, why do they say that? Well, they say that because that's wrong. <laughs> that's the reason they say it. I never heard of one of those psychologists saying, now make sure and eat dinner tonight and be sure and sleep tonight. They don't do that. They say the other thing. Why? Because that thing, that awful thing, is in the hearts of all of us, the guilt complex. Now, let me drop on down. I'm going to hit high points from now on, and I come down to verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Now, that means the Word of God here, because everything that had been written up to the time of Solomon was called the law. The book of Joshua was included. The book of Judges was included. And that was about it. And, of course, many of the Psalms of David were already being used. And so it's called the law at that time. Now, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the word of God, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Now, the thing that God is saying is this. If you want God to hear you, you hear him first. And he's made it very clear that he doesn't listen to the prayer of the godless man. That is just sentimental twaddle today that people talk about the godless man. At the time trouble comes to him, his little daughter's sick, and he can go in a sentimental way and call upon God to raise her up. Now, may I say to you, I would suggest he call in a godly friend to pray for the little girl. And I certainly hope the Lord will raise her up. But God's not going to hear his prayer because God says he won't. And over in 1 Peter 3:12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God's made it very clear where he stands. And he even says here that that prayer is an abomination to him. Why? It's actually sin. It really turns out. Now, he says here, I'm dropping down now to verse 10. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. But the upright shall have good things in possession. Now, this is a law of God that's operative in this world. And you can find that as you go through the Word of God. You can find again and again and again an example of that. Take the life of David. And the thing that he did brought scandal into his own family and his own home. Now I'm moving on down to verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes. One of the things about the rich is that riches will minister to pride and conceit. It's something that seems to go along with it. And today you hear of some rich man giving a testimony at a banquet, especially a prominent banquet. But did you ever hear of just a poor, simple, ordinary fellow giving a testimony? You hear of the great men of this world that give a testimony at the president's prayer breakfast. My, but did you ever hear them just reaching down and getting some poor little 
vegetable variety of a Christian, let him give a testimony. But you notice what God says? The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. That poor man, and may be poor in this world's goods, the poor of this world, but rich in faith, and that poor man can listen to the testimony of the rich and know that it's as hollow, it's a sham, and that lacks reality. And even if it is real, it will lack the ring of discernment and of understanding of spiritual things. I have been to those banquets when they've called upon some prominent businessman to give a testimony, and he gets up and says things. Actually, you'd see several people who have real spiritual discernment bowing their heads in embarrassment at the thing that he's saying. And that happens sometimes in a so-called Hollywood convert. Boy, this is a good proverb, by the way, one that's generally passed over. Now, verse 13, "...he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." This is a great one. If you try it as a Christian, try to cover your sins... And that, by the way, is the common practice among Christians today. You find in the average church that there's a band-aid of silence placed over the cancer of sin. They don't like to talk about, you know. They try to appear to each other that they're perfect, which means that they think that they're very good. But we're told here, "...he that confesseth and forsaketh them, he shall have mercy." And for the believer today, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all in righteousness. Now, I don't mean public confession of sin. This is a matter between you and the Lord. But that should be dealt with. And this idea today to try to appear that you're sinless before your little group is, I think, a big mistake. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall obtain mercy. How wonderful this is. Now in verse 14, "...happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief." Now, this is another very wonderful proverb. And this is what it means to walk in fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what does that mean? Well, it means that your heart is open toward God all the time. The opposite here is, "...he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief." The man that fears God is one that is listening to God, one that's trying to walk in a way that's well-pleasing to him, walking in humility before the Lord, walking in recognition of his weakness and of his utter dependence upon God. Now, that's what it means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But now, I must pause and say something here at this particular point. I've had several letters from friends. One dear lady wrote and said, I'm writing you this in love. You have pointed out the faults of the church members, and you have given the criticism of the Christians that are in our churches today but says, don't you have a word of encouragement for them? Now, my friend, may I say that I'm attempting to teach the Word of God. I believe that we're in days of apostasy today. 
And the ones that are the quickest to acknowledge the present-day apostasy are pastors of churches. And there is a sad condition. Now, I recognize we need encouragement, but when I give encouragement, I'm giving it from the Word of God to all saints. Now, I don't call attention necessarily to the church, but I call attention to the local church when the Word of God makes it very clear that he's speaking about these that are making a profession today of being a Christian. And I think to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And a great many people in the church and out of the church are tremendously discouraged at what they're seeing in the lives of some Christians. And as a result, why, they are turning off religion. As one young man, one of these hippie-type individuals, he said to me, I've turned off religion. Well, I know something of the boy's background. And I almost felt like saying to him, well, I agree with you, but I can't say that to the young man. I tried to point out to him that there are a lot of wonderful saints today that are in the church, and they're generally in the background. Not always, but generally. And these are folk that you can have a wonderful fellowship with, and you can have confidence in them. Now, I pause to say that because that fits right along in what we are having here. The writer of the Proverbs didn't spare any of us. You may be sure of that. And many of these Proverbs fit down on us just like a garment. Now, we find in verse 17, "...a man laden with the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stand." In other words, a man that is consciously guilty of having committed a horrible crime... He has to bear on the conscience a fearful load that'll finally drive a man to suicide. And there's so many cases like that today, and I suppose the prime case is that of Judas Iscariot himself as being the one finally driven to suicide because of the awful, dastardly crime that he had committed. And so many crimes today. An FBI man told me this. He said... You know, sometimes a crime will go for several years. We have no inkling at all of evidence or of being able to trace it. And finally, here pops up a man or, or even a woman sometimes over here, and they have to talk, and they make a statement. And sometimes they're in prison on another crime, and they confess one that he says that we're still working on. Why? Because it's on the mind and heart of an individual, my friend. You can't escape that. God made you that way, hoping that that might bring you back to him. Now, verse 24, "...whoso robbeth his father his mother, and saith it's no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer." Now, a man might say, "...well, after all, I'm going to inherit what my dad's got, so I'll just take it from him now." Well, that's a crime in God's sight. And by the way, you remember, that was the thing that the Lord Jesus rebuked the religious rulers for in that day because they had made a tradition that if a man just said Corban, it didn't make any difference if he ignored his parents, you see. Well, you see, it's so easy because of a relationship to deny support or to take something that does not belong to you. And that is the thing that our Lord condemned. Now, that brings us to chapter 29, and it opens with a 
tremendous verse here, "...he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy." God has so many ways of reproving a man, and he can keep going on in sin. I think of the fact that so many folk that, in my experience, were warned before judgment fell upon them, and it falls upon them in this life. I was walking down the street one night with a friend in Dallas, Texas. A big crowd was gathered around out in front of a theater. When we walked by, we noticed that there was a wrecked automobile there, and we stopped to look at the wrecked automobile. And believe me, it was really in a sad condition. So when I got back to the seminary, I was telling several of the students about it, and one fellow says, do you want to know the story of that car? And I said, yes. And he told me that it was driven by a high school student and his girlfriend. And they had stopped by to pick up a girl that was going to a Bible class. And she said, no, I can't go with you tonight. Well, they said, get your date and go with us. Said, no. Said, I'm going over here to Bible class, and I'd like for you to go. And they said, we'll take you, but we're not going. So they took this girl over, and her boyfriend was already over at the Bible class. And so on the way over, she presented Christ to them, said, you know, I accepted Christ at this Bible class, and you need it. And they just laughed. They let the girl out at the Bible class. And in five minutes after they did that, speeding down a street, a car came out, hit them, and killed both of them instantly. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed that without remedy. Korah in the Bible is an example of that. And Dathan and Abiram and Belshazzar and Jezebel. All of these are examples of that in the Word of God. And the Word of God is filled with that sort of thing. Now we have in verse 4, well, let me take verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And we've had a verse where it speaks of the fact that when the wicked are in power, and a group of them, why, they never solve the problems, but one righteous man is able to bring blessing to a nation. And that's what we need in this nation of ours above everything else. We don't need men today that say they've got solutions for every problem because we know that anybody that says he's got a solution for the problems of this world, he has to say it with a tongue in his cheek. What we need today are righteous men who will stand for the right at any price. And I believe that just one of them is better than a whole party, regardless of what party it might be. This is a wonderful proverb. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Verse 4, The king by judgment established the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth. You know, David made this statement. It was in one of his psalms, a righteous ruler over man, a ruler in the fear of God. And this man, he had acknowledged in his own confession, my house is not so. Only Christ is the king who by judgment will establish the land. 
The king by judgment establisheth the land. And that's the reason that the coming of Christ to the earth is the only hope that the world has today. And thank the Lord, the church is going to leave before he comes to the earth. That is the promise that he's given. And this matter of giving gifts, my, how that is figured in politics today. And that has no respect of parties either. Now, there are some other wonderful things coming up, and I didn't finish chapter 29, so it may be that we'll still have two more times in this very wonderful, wonderful book of Proverbs. I trust they've been a blessing to your heart. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. For more of Dr. McGee's great teaching, join me this weekend for our Sunday sermon titled, A Trip to the Zoo. Listen by app, online, or see if your local station carries the Sunday sermon at ttb.org. And remember, you can always call us anytime at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here next time saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Until then, go with God today and in the strength of His Spirit and the power of His Word. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.